So if you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at a few verses there this evening for a few minutes. Verses 6 through 11 to Romans chapter 5 is in the New Testament. Right after the Gospels and Acts, you'll find Romans. And the big, the big letters, the big numbers are the chapter numbers and the little numbers are the verse numbers. Romans chapter 5, and I'll read for us verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's Word. It's entirely true, and it's given to us in love. Let me pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father in Heaven, thank You for the, uh, Your Word, God, that is, that is true and living. Uh, it, your word says of itself that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. So we know that no matter where we are tonight, no matter where our hearts lie tonight, um, it is going to cut. And God, we pray that it will. And so God, we pray that you would open us up to the gospel once again this, this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So in his book uh, titled On Death, it is an entire book about dying, Tim Keller Uh, Pastor Tim Keller observes this about death. Quote, he says, Death is the great interruption, tearing loved ones away from us or us from them. Death is the great schism, ripping apart the material and immaterial parts of our being and sundering a whole person who was never meant to be disembodied, even for a moment. Death is the great insult because it reminds us, as Shakespeare said, that we are worm food. Death is hideous and frightening and cruel and unusual, end quote. So we don't find a lot of hope in death, do we? In our minds, it doesn't really accomplish anything if we really think about it. For all we can tell, it's pointless. But the gospel message turns the reality of death upside down. The gospel message actually makes... Death, hopeful. Because here on this dark day, 2,000 plus years ago, Jesus, God in the flesh, died a real death. So this, seemed, this does seem backwards. How could a death bring hope? Well, three times we're reminded of, in our text this evening, of this hope of Christ's death. And you can recognize each of these because Paul... Um, introduces each of them with the phrase, while we were. You may have caught it as we were reading through the text there. But the first one is, while we were weak. The second is, while we were sinners. And then the third is, while we were enemies. And in the midst of these three points that Paul is making, we find hope in the death of Jesus. So first, while we were weak. Look at verse 6. Paul says, for while we were still weak, at the right time, 
Christ died for the ungodly. So in this verse, Paul is placing the death of Christ in time and space for us. So Paul is saying the death of Christ really happened in real time and in real space. And he does this by talking about using this language of time. When he says, at the right time, all of this took place. So in Galatians chapter 4, another letter by Paul, he talks about this as the fullness of time. He says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So all of this takes place at a certain time, and all of this takes place for humanity while they are in a certain state as well. This is why Paul says that the state that we are in is weakness. That's why he says, while we were still weak. So what does that mean, still weak? What does it mean that while we were still weak? Well, if you translated it differently, it can mean helpless or ungodly. Helpless or ungodly. So you could read it as, so while we were still helpless in our sin, while we were still ungodly creatures, not looking for God, What did Christ do for us? He died. So looking back at verse 5 that we didn't read, but the the verse right before all of this, we see that this action of Christ dying, dying for the ungodly, dying for the helpless sinner, actually proceeds from the love of God. So it's it's not just something that just happens all of a sudden that Jesus decided, like, hey, this might be a really good idea. This is actually something that God has been uh, that God has planned from the very beginning of time. And it proceeds from His love for us. So it's one of the reasons Christ had to come and die. John Piper said in his, says in his book, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die, he wrote, the measure of God's love for us is shown by two things. One is the degree of His sacrifice in saving us from the penalty of our sin. The other is the degree of unworthiness that we had when He saved us. So this is what we hear in verse 7 of this. Look, at the, look there with me. Paul says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. So in other words, what Paul is saying, it, it is very rare that someone would voluntarily lay down their life for a righteous person or even a good person much less an ungodly one. If I were to propose that to you tonight, would you lay down your life for me? I'm a pretty good person, and I'm, I need you to, to give away an organ, but it's going to kill you and let me live. Would you do that? You probably would not do that. You probably wouldn't do it. But this is exactly what Paul says Jesus does. And here's the hope in all of this. That at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And this is the exact time in which God's purpose of the ages reaches its final fulfillment. And that final fulfillment is found in the death of Christ for you and for me, for our sins. As the hymn writer uh, Horatio Spafford put it in the second verse of his hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, who this man suffered immensely. I was doing some research on this. Immensely losing his children, and he wrote these words in the second verse of this hymn. He says, Though Satan should buffet, though, though trial should come, let, let this blessed assurance control. 
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. And now the second reminder of the hope of Christ's death is found while we were sinners. Look at verses 8 and 9. Paul writes, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So the actions of, that, we, that, that you see in verse 8 are the contrast to what Paul was talking about in verse 7 when he says, nobody would really die for a righteous person. Uh, so this is a contrast to that particular verse. Because from, a, from the human perspective, Paul says, one would hardly ever do that. One would hardly ever die for a righteous or good person. That's a, that's a very rare action. But Christ doesn't die for the righteous or the good. Remember, it says elsewhere in the Bible that there is no one righteous. So Jesus doesn't even have the opportunity to die for a righteous or a good person. He dies for sinners. So it's interesting to note here that, that God's love is, is brought into direct relationship to the death of Christ here. And, and this should give us pause, whether you're a Christian or not. We should pause here and really meditate upon what it is that God is doing for us in Christ. Because in our culture today, I think the idea of a loving God is a hard sale. It's, it's hard to believe, especially when you throw in a crucifixion, that God loved us so much that he crucified his own son. That's not a, that's not a God that I want to believe in, people might say. Most would rather like to believe he doesn't exist, or at least he's uninvolved. That he didn't have to go to these extremes to save me. But the reality of it is he did have to go to that extreme to save me. Paul tells us that, that not only does, does God love us subjectively, not only is, this, is that just a feeling that he has towards his people, but he shows his love objectively in sending his son to die for sinners. God proves His love to us. So this phrase, but God shows His love, literally means the love of Himself. The love of Himself. So, so it's not, it doesn't mean that, that God is the object of love. He's a, it's not that he's, he's the object of this, I'm just loving myself in a, in a very selfish way. What it means is, is that it's a love that is peculiar or unique to God alone. And the way that we see that, the way this is commended is by the fact that it was for sinners that Christ died. There is, so what, what essentially that is saying to us is there is no one else in all of the world that could have invented this. It could only flow from a loving God who loves his people. You and I would not think of that. We would never do that. I would never sacrifice my son for any of you in here. Nor would you do, do that for me. But God does. And that's his love towards us. So here's this kind of backwards notion of God that we might think as human beings. But you have to understand that God is not like you and me. He's not like us. 
We don't love like this. We don't have the capacity to love like this. But even though this doesn't make sense to us or we think it's backwards or whatever, at the same time, God's love is the most logical and rational love ever to exist. Because it's the true way of love. God is teaching us through this act of moving towards His sinful creation what true love looks like. And God is the one who who demonstrates this true love to us in, in sending His Son to die while we were still trapped in our sin. So this means... God has not waited for you to clean up your act. He has not waited for you to get things in order before doing so because he would be waiting for an eternity because that can never happen. No, God sent Jesus while you were still in sin. And through this demonstration, verse 9 tells us uh, two hopes that are birthed out of this accomplishment. So the first hope that we have is that we are justified by Jesus' blood. And the second hope that we have in this is that we are, because we're justified by Jesus' blood, that means that we are saved by Him from the wrath of God. Meaning we are both made right before a holy God, and because of that rightness, we are saved by the wrath of God that our sin deserves through the blood of Jesus Christ. So the saving death of Christ is the only thing that quenches God's wrath against us by removing all traces of our sins from His sight. So in theological terms, this is known as penal substitutionary atonement. So I know I just lost 85% of you. But I want want us to hear those words and to be familiar with words like that. And we, just 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 to make you aware... Every song that we have sung tonight dealt with penal substitutionary atonement. You were singing this rich theology uh, this evening. So I'd like for you to be familiar with these words because this is a doctrine that many try to say is untrue or they at least try to diminish. To say, you know what? We're not that sinful. We didn't need God to go to that, to that far of, of extremes to, to, to save us. Therefore, this doctrine doesn't need to exist. But penal substitutionary atonement gives the most thorough understanding of what the Bible teaches concerning both our, our sinful state and God's work of redemption through the cross. So it refers to the awful state of the human race that was inherited from Adam, imputed into us from Genesis chapter 3, and the identity and work of Christ who acts with us and for us on the cross. So we are sinners, separated from God, and because of this we are deserving of God's wrath, and we are without hope in and of ourselves. So in order to be saved, God had to act by sending a substitute in our stead to take on our sin and the consequences that come as a result of our sin, namely, the wrath of God. And we know from Paul that this is exactly what Jesus 
accomplished for us. He bore our sins and he took on God's wrath for us. And now the third hope is found in verses 10 through 11. While we were enemies. Look there with me. Paul writes, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So notice that in verse 6 and in verse 8, it only says that Christ died. So it's just letting us know, Christ died which clearly identifies the costliness of God's love for sinners. It's good to be pointed out. There's nothing wrong with that. But in verse 10, we get a little, Paul gets a little bit more specific and a little bit more clear around who Christ is. And this comes about by saying, God reconciled to himself, us to himself by the death of his Son. So in this statement, we are told that Christ's work on the cross was the means of our reconciliation back to God. We had no other means before that. The law could not accomplish that. No amount of sacrifices could accomplish that. Jesus is the only means in which you can be reconciled as a sinner to a holy God. The only way. So what that tells us about Christ is that that he is, is that he is our reconciler. So why do we need to be reconciled? Well, just to reiterate what Paul said, you needed to be reconciled because you were godless. You were sinners. You were enemies of God. Everything about your life before Christ is against God. Everything. I don't care how good you think you are. I know I have a lot of friends who are really good, but are very lost. They're very kind people, and I love them dearly, but they're very lost. They're without Christ. If you are without Christ, the Bible says right here, you are against God. I don't care how much you say you like Jesus. I mean, you might be saying, That's, I mean, Jesus is cool. Like, it's fine if that's what you want to believe, um, but, you know, I'm just going to live my life in the way I want to live it. But if you haven't repented of your sins and believed on Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says that you are an enemy against God. You're his enemy. You're, you're an enemy of the most powerful being in the universe. Yet even in your enemy state, Paul tells us that God, by the death of His Son, reconciles us. That not only can you just be forgiven and kind of just go on your merry way, but when you are, when you are reconciled to God, you become a child of the King. Like, it's not that He just kind of lets you go about in peace and go back to your own little kingdom, but God actually welcomes you into His kingdom. You are fully reconciled. So much so that you are now a son or daughter of a king. That we are made right with, with God by, by... That we are made right with God. This is the truth that we're trying to communicate here. That we are made right with God by God 
through Christ. And that's the only way it happens. So this is hopeful news on a bleak day. Because it says to us that God is not aloof. That God is not just up there in the clouds sitting back and just letting us do whatever we want and we try to figure it out on our own. No, what this says is that the sovereign God of the universe has made the way in which you and I can be forgiven of our sins, cleansed from all unrighteousness, and made right with Him for eternity. So that's key. But we're also made right with Him now in the present for as long as we walk this earth. And that is wonderful news. And that's the hope of Christ's death. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful reminder of of the glorious gospel of how you saved us through the death of your son. So God, I pray even on this day that we would that we would take a moment, even this evening, even if it's by ourselves or with our family or whoever, that we would take a moment to remember uh, why you did such a thing. Because we were separated from you, because we were helpless, uh, ungodly, ungodly uh, sinners in need of redemption, in need of reconciliation, and you came up with the perfect plan for us to be reconciled. And so, God, we give you praise for that. I pray for those in here that, are, that don't know you yet, that they would consider Christ tonight, that they would take Jesus' words seriously to repent and believe. Today is the day of salvation, and that would happen right now. And I pray all of these things in the name of Christ. Amen. If you would turn with me in your worship guide to the communion portion.